Our scripture focus for today is from Acts chapter 3. If you have a Bible handy, you can go ahead and turn there with me if you'd like. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom god raised from the dead to this we are witnesses and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all and now brothers i know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, thus he fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, set him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is God's word. Good morning. As you guys are taking your seats, if you haven't already, let me invite you to take your Bibles and open with me to Acts chapter 3. So good to be with you. If, if you don't have a Bible, you don't own one, we'd love to gift you with a copy of God's Word. We think God's Word is a great gift to us, reveals to us God's truth, God's wisdom, and we've got Gospel Transformation Bibles here in the room off to my left. We call this our cafe, coffee room. It was the porch that was enclosed in this old farmhouse of a building that we, that we rent from. We're looking at this morning a the first miracle, the first healing miracle of the apostles after the resurrection of Jesus. 
And it's, it comes after the summary statement that we looked at last week in Acts 2, where, where Luke records what the early church devoted themselves to. Luke records this. They devoted themselves, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That's kind of a summary statement. And this morning, we're looking at one of those signs and wonders that was done through the hand of the apostles, this miraculous healing of this man who could not, could not walk. And you could think about the first three chapters of Acts as a literary device that's known as a triad. You know what a triad is? Three interconnected things. Chapter one is talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit, where Jesus is, is saying, hey, get white in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. He's going to empower you to be my witness. Acts two talks about the, the coming of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost and the sign of these men who are uneducated Galileans were speaking in the language of all the nations that were gathered there. And then Acts three, we have the kind of empowering presence of the Spirit shown in this miracle. So what do you do with miracles in the Bible? How do you think about miracles in the Bible? If you have a, a worldview or a perspective and that it's more naturalistic, you'd say, well, miracles are kind of incongruent with science. It's like they're the breaking of the natural law and you know, outlook on life, so I'm going to kind of dismiss miracles. I talk with people that miracles seems like one of those things that it's one of the objections to belief in Christianity. It's like, well, never seen a miracle, never seen someone have sight restored or someone restore the, the power, the use, the ability of their legs to walk. So I'm going to dismiss Christianity. Others I've seen kind of take a different approach where they, say, they might distort what I would call the miracles in the Bible saying, well, the reason that we don't see miracles today in the same way is because we don't have enough faith. I mean, it's the same Holy Spirit that was in Acts that's now present. So you just need to believe more and have greater faith and, or try harder to see these kind of miracles present in your life. I remember talking with one friend who was really struggling with, with grief and loss. His grandma had just died, and he was part of a church that, 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 that taught. You know, and the pastor essentially told him this. His grandma died of cancer. He said, the reason that your grandma wasn't healed, that she died of cancer, is because you guys didn't have enough faith. That's what the pastor told this member, and he was really wrestling with, you know, but do I, what do I even believe? Does God not care? Is there's a problem... On me, I'd call this a super spiritualistic perspective. Some faith leaders claim to have this ability because they are such men and women of great faith. And if you could just be more like them, you could have this kind of healing power. And I said, I, well, I can't do miracles like this. I mean, I've, I've prayed for healing and for God to do miracles. And to my knowledge, I haven't seen like some, some guy with a sickness or you know, just lay my hand on my own head and pray, God, remove this forehead acne. I hate it. It still stays there. What do we do with miracles in the Bible? I'd like to present another way of, of viewing miracles in the New Testament, not as we have to deny them, or not that we have to distort them, but how miracles will actually teach us. They, they help us discover more about the gospel. So that's, I'd like to present a third way this morning of how we might view miracles. We don't have to dismiss them. We don't have to distort them as if, as if there's something wrong with us if we don't see these same kind of miracles today. I think we can discover them. We can discover how they show us Jesus and his kingdom, how they illustrate the good news about his life, death, and resurrection, about his ascension and his future return. I think this is how we can faithfully interpret and understand miracles in the New Testament. I think this is what Peter does after he heals this man, how he interprets 
the miracle. So the, the story records that Peter and John, they're going to the temple at the hour of prayer. And they say it's the ninth hour, which would be about 3 p.m. our time. So they counted their hours when the sun rose at dawn. So if dawn was 6 a.m., nine hours later, it's 3 p.m. I had to do math there. I wasn't very strong in math, but I have it on my notes here. It's 3 p.m., <laughs> nine hours later. This would be the time of the evening sacrifice, evening prayer. So they're going to the temple, and there's a man who's been lame from birth, who's laying there at the gate, the entrance of the temple. And every day, he was brought out there and laid so that he would ask for alms or it's money, material goods. He'd asking for, for support, help to the poor. And this man sees Peter and John go into the temple, and he asks them to receive alms. So he's asking for money. And verse 4, I love what Luke writes here. It says, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. So maybe, they were, you know, maybe this guy's laying off to the side here. They're walking to the temple, and he's asking for money, and he, he looks at him. And then he says, look at us. Maybe the man wasn't make, making eye contact with him. Maybe he had his head down, and he just you know, saw the shadow or figures passing in front of him. And he says, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. It's like, oh, sweet. I'm asking for money, and these guys are about to give me some money, about to give me something that I need. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have, I give to you. <laughs> Can you imagine what would be running through that guy's mind at that point? Well, that's not really what I was asking. I need money. I need, a, I need food. I need, I need some way. I can't work. I'm laying here. So it's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I don't have any silver or gold to give you, but I, I give to you what I have. That's Jesus. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. The name of Jesus means according to his authority, his power, based on his presence. It's not like a magical phrase. Like if, if you don't say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayers, God doesn't hear that because you didn't say it. In Jesus' name, it means on the authority, on the basis of what Christ has done, we get to approach God and ask him for things, for prayers. Amen? Amen. Peter is saying the ability, the authority to heal, it's not in me. It's in the name of Jesus. It's in his authority, his presence, his power. And Peter takes him by the right hand and raises him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. They are instantly healed and strengthened. He jumps up. He leaps. He begins to walk. He enters the table, the, the temple, and he's praising God. You can imagine the kind of commotion that this would have caused. Like people that go into the temple, they're used to making sacrifices and praying, and this guy's been here every day. And now he's jumping up, he's leaping and maybe running, dancing, and he's praising in the temple. Others recognize this is the man. Hey, isn't this guy that's normally laying, laying there? Now he's walking, praising God. And Luke writes, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, the word that Luke uses to describe leap, that's translated leap, is, is significant in verse 8. Acts 3, 8 says this, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. It was repeated twice. You catch that? Now, the, the Hebrew Old Testament, which is written in Hebrew, was translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. The Septuagint from the 70, 72 scholars the Hebrew scholars that translated the, the Hebrew text into Greek. And Luke used the word there, leap, which is rare in the New Testament, halomai, leap. And it's found in, the same word is found in the Greek translation, the Septuagint of the Hebrew scriptures in Isaiah 35, 6. And I think Luke intends for us to see this connection and using this word. This is what Isaiah says. I'll start in, in, in verse 3 of Isaiah 35 and, and read through the chapter to provide a greater context. 
Isaiah's talking about the, the redeemed of the Lord, the future coming of the Messiah in this time. He says, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame leap, there's that word, halamai. The lame leap like a deer. The mute tongue shout for joy. Water shall gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Look at the picture that Isaiah is painting here for us. Paradise, garden imagery into desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. And it will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those who the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Love the way that's worded. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Halamai, leaping. It's the, it's the word that Luke uses here to describe this man getting up. And Luke, I believe, means for us to see this connection. And Peter makes it even more explicit in the sermon that follows that the age, this age, this new covenant age, this time of restoring Jesus, the promised he is the promised redeemer and his disciples are demonstrating that, that this is this Jesus, he is the Messiah in this healing. It says in verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Some sources I read found that according to rabbinic tradition, some of the Jewish tradition, if you were a person of like, you know, outstanding piety or holiness or righteousness, that God was kind of obligated to hear your prayers. Like if you were holy enough or righteous enough, like God was obligated to hear your prayers. And, and whether that was the case or not, it's Peter saying, no, no, no. <laughs> it's not by my own piety. It's not by my own power. It's not by my own work that we've made him walk. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the one. He's the, the agent of healing here. And he tells them that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob glorified his servant Jesus. But look what he says. Look at verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one. He's talking to the Jews here. And asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Right in this great tragedy, this great irony, the Jews asked for a murderer to be released and they killed the author of life. The innocent, holy, and righteous one, the Messiah, the Christ was killed. The murderer was released. This is a beautiful picture of, of the... This is what... They said the gospel is murderers, traitors, rebels like you and me are set free that the author of life was killed in our place. His life was exchanged for ours. Amen. Verse 16, and by his name, right, in his authority, by his power, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has made the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter is not saying that this is just a sheer demonstration of power. It was a demonstration of faith in the name of Jesus. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man 
health. Right? Peter's not saying, don't glorify me. Don't, don't give me fame and honor. This all belongs to Christ, to Jesus. It's in his name that this man was healed. And, and what follows is an incredible message of grace. To, to Jews, even though they killed the author of life, Peter's going to appeal to them to reconsider, to repent, to change their mind about who they thought Jesus was and align themselves with the truth of who Jesus really is. He preaches a message of grace to sinners and mercy to the ignorant, and he proclaims the kindness of God, that by his kindness they might be led to repentance. Look at verse 17. It says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. The chief priests, the scribes, they didn't know who Jesus was. They acted in ignorance. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore. Turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Repent literally means change your mind, but repent is this thing about turning away from the previous way of thinking, of acting, of behaving, and I'm turning towards a receiving and a trust in, in Christ, in God. Says, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that your sins may be forgiven, that you may be washed clean. The, the gospel message is a message that's very personal. That you can stand before a just and holy God and have your sins blotted out. You, therefore, are called to repent and turn to Christ. The gospel is a message that calls forth a response. We're to face a just and a holy God. And, and the gospel is a message to turn from yourself, turn from your sin, turn from the previous way in which you trusted the people and things that you trusted in, and turn and trust in Jesus. Embrace Jesus, that your sins may be forgiven, that your life may be cleansed, that your sins may be blotted out, as Peter says. But the gospel is not just a personal message to the individuals that Peter is talking about. It's a, it's a cosmic message. It's a message of future hope and glory. It not only calls forth a present response, but it cultivates, it calls forth a future hope. It's what Peter says in verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. We're in this time now, this messianic age of a time of refreshing. The Holy Spirit refreshing his people, continually refreshing. We are in an age where we need continual refreshing, amen? <laughs> Every day, I need refreshing my heart to be cleansed. God, give me a heart that is after you. I wake up sometimes, I'm just so naturally selfish, focused on me, what can I do? And how, is people, how are people serving me? I'm frustrated when I'm not getting what I want. I'm getting angry when my, need, my preferences are not being met. So God, refresh me. Create in me a new heart, a clean heart. And Peter says there, until the Christ, the Messiah, is sent again, until he comes again and restores all things. So we're living in this time of Jesus come. We're in this messianic, new covenant, new age of the spirit. But there is a time which Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to restore all things. And Peter says, until the Christ comes again, repent. This, is this, this time of, is coming. And whether it's restoring the heart of Tafiti in Moana, or the act of true love that will break the curse of Frozen. It's always just this frozen land, and oh, I'm just blanking on the name of that land. Arendelle. Thank you, Megan. <laughs> Whether it's in Disney or literature, narrative, we, we have this longing for restoration, don't we? And some of my favorite, some of my favorite scenes in the Disney movies is like in Moana, when, when Moana returns the heart to this 
Tefiti, just like lava god that's Taka, right? It's like she changed. She's become this. She doesn't have a heart. He returns to heart and she becomes this, this, this flourishing land. He digs her hand into the soil and gardens and plants and flowers and fruit and it just abounds in this time of restoration. And what, what, is, what is the key moment in Frozen? If you've seen Frozen, the act of, of love of Anna sacrificing herself for her sister, realize it's what, what melts the ice? This kind of curse that has been unleashed upon Arendelle. It's, it's love. And as she realizes this, she goes about restoring the kingdom to not be this cold desert Iceland anymore. I love pictures like that because it shows me of, like through art and graphic design of a little picture, a foretaste of what is it going to be like? Restoration. Heavens and earth remade. New heavens and new earth. What what is will, will pass away and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And, and Peter's saying when, when Jesus comes, he's going to, make, he's going to restore all things. Amen. The kingdom is going to be fully realized. His kingdom is going to be established on the earth. There's not going to be any more sin, injustice, racism, brokenness, disease, rebellion, deformity. Everything will be like it was. Very good. Peace and shalom. He says, Moses said, verse 22, that the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Peter's saying this, Jesus is that prophet that Moses is talking about. And the prophets who have spoken from Samuel, so Samuel was considered the next prophet after Moses. He's saying some Moses, Samuel, and all the prophets after them. They all talk and they look forward to this time, this time of Jesus. They proclaimed these days this, this new age. Moses from Samuel to all the prophets have spoken about the coming of this Christ, the redemption that was to become, the new messianic age, this time of restoration and renewal. And you can see Peter's love and plea for his people in the closing verses there. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you to your wickedness. Jesus was sent first to the Jews. It's like, it's, and it's going to be sent, and the message is going to expand, and we'll see throughout Acts, it's going to continue to not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. The, the promise is fulfilled that in the seed, the offspring of Abraham, the whole world's going to be blessed. Peter's saying, God, this is, he's from us. He's from our family. He's from the covenant. He's from our lineage. He came to us first and we've rejected him. And he says, turn, turn to, from your wickedness. And he's come, even though you are ignorant, even though you are rebellious, look, look at the grace in verse 26. Raised up his servant, sent him to you to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So I've set before us a, a, a way to view miracles and not dismissing them, not distorting them, not demanding that they have to continue, that it leads to all kinds of distortions of faith. We can discover how they show and, and point to the gospel of Jesus. We don't have to dismiss, we don't have to demand, we can discover. And Peter understood this miracle, I think, as a kind of accreditation to the power of Jesus. And I, I think we can also view this miracle as a, a kind of accreditation to the apostles, the same kind of miracles that Jesus did is being continued in the apostles. 
So that when we have the Acts, when we have the Gospels, when we have the New Testament, we, we are reading the word of Jesus. It's his very word to us. But the miraculous healing was not an act of a sheer demonstration of power. It's not what they were for Jesus, and that's not what they were for the apostles. They were pointers to something greater. Jesus didn't heal everyone in his ministry. The apostles don't heal everyone in their ministry. Jesus' miracles were never about sheer power. You don't see Jesus in the Gospels walking around with his disciples and saying, hey, you guys want to see me rake some leaves without using a rake? You want to see me fly for a little bit? You guys want to see me snap my fingers and I can snap a tree? You want to see me write in the sky with my finger? I mean, look how much power I have. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is not like Anakin Skywalker in Attack of the Clones, as if he has this power that he's just playing with and showing off, like cutting up the fruit and he's sending it to impress Padme. send this grape across to you. Like, I, I would probably be tempted to do that if I had that kind of power. Oh, you need a tissue? You know? <laughs> Certainly Jesus could have done that if he wanted, right? Oh, you guys hungry? Just send some... He could have done it too. Like, oh, 2,000 years from now, they're going to have this stuff called pizza. It's amazing. Here, right? <laughs> Peter doesn't just get up and preach, look at my power. Look at the power of Jesus. We have the truth. We have the power. That's not what he says. Jesus' miracles and the miracles of the apostles that followed deal with suffering and pain. Not just sheer demonstrations of power. They, they are alleviating suffering and pain. They're not simply power plays, but they point forward to the time of the new heavens and the new earth, the final re- re- resurrection and the redemption of the world. We, we can think about miracles sometimes as if God is kind of working outside of the natural order. But we, I think we can think about miracles as really God restoring what was unnatural to natural. Does that make sense? Like the world was not created with disease, and that's not part of God's good plan. And sickness and death and deformity and blindness and lameness, result of sin and brokenness that came into the world. I like the way Tim Keller writes it like this. We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus came to redeem what was wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proof that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he's going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not a challenging, not just a challenging to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. Blindness, inability to walk, suffering, sin, brokenness are not a part of God's original good design. They came as a result of sin. So miracles, in a sense, point to, they reveal life in the kingdom of Jesus, the, the restored life, the way people will live forever, and they give us hope and a picture of the beauty of the gospel. And that way they, they, they help us with, with hope. Miracles, I could say, are a restoring, a return to what should have been, and a revealing of what is to come. I can think about miracles. We don't have to deny, we don't have to dismiss. On the other hand, we don't have to distort. We can discover the beauty and the hope that they cultivate in us as we consider them. And as we discover and we're reminded of the future hope of the gospel, I think miracles invite us to depend. 
depend upon faith, depend upon Jesus, our faith in Jesus, and, and depend upon the fact that his power was made perfect or it's shown in weakness. Right? Jesus did not come down and say, all this sinners and brokenness and all this, I was like, be gone, right? And suddenly there was no one on the earth. He came in in a form of weakness. He came as a suffering servant. He came as a lowly servant and humbled himself. And this is what Jesus invites us to. Not that we can walk, walk by others who are sick and hurting with this kind of bravado and arrogance and pride of, you just need to have enough faith. And I have this strong faith and I'm never sick because I have this beautiful faith. That's not what the Christian faith is about. It's about depending upon Christ in the midst of suffering and through suffering. It doesn't mean that we don't pray for others to be healed. It doesn't mean we don't pray as Melody prepares to have knee surgery. It doesn't mean we don't fast and ask God to do a work in our family as our grandma is sick with cancer. But it does mean that if he doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we want to, we depend on him by faith and trust that he is doing something in the suffering, even if we might understand it, that is cultivating further humility and dependence on him. Amen. Amen? In Peter's sermon, he doesn't say, believe in Jesus, and all of you will experience the same kind of physical healing. You have acne, it'll be cleansed. You have a crippled hand, it'll be healed. You have bad eyesight, it will be restored. You got a disease, it'll go away. He says, repent, and your sins will be forgiven. Forgiveness of sins is the greatest need that this, this man had. It's our greatest need. The only thing that you really need is forgiveness, is a relationship with God. Ultimately, your healing is forgiveness of sins, communion with Jesus. So I pray as we consider Acts 3, we're encouraged by this healing and this sermon from Peter, that the messianic age is here. This times of refreshing is, is here. We're waiting for Christ to come again and restore all things. We're waiting for the day in which this back pain that's developed two weeks ago that I can't get rid of, that's driving me crazy. In my 30s, I've got back pain. Is that common? Yes. Wow. <laughs> I've got this back pain. Right? We, we see the world and we see waking up this morning, looking at the news and shooting in California, 10 dead. We look at the news and we see racism and fighting and injustice. We Look at our own life when we see the interpersonal conflict that keeps us up at night. Suffering and cancer and knee pain. And as we wait, we pray for the kingdom of God to come, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look forward to that day when there will be no more back pain. But as we wait, we walk by faith. Amen? Amen. Instead of thinking, well, if I could just have no back pain, then I'd be happy. God, Please do this for me. You owe me this. I've been serving you so faithfully. What? Why? If I could just have this physical need met, then I'd be happy. Then I'd really be able to trust God and live for him. God, if you would just provide the spouse that I'm looking for. God, if you would just give me the baby that I want. If I could just be physically healthy. If I could just be physically fit. Maybe that's asking too much. If I could just have my cancer removed, then, then I'd really be happy. One of the ways this plays out in our life practically is that instead of first praying for God to change our circumstances, we ask for God to reveal what he is doing in our circumstances 
to cultivate faith and trust. <laughs> That's a combination of faith and trust. <sighs> trust, is what I meant, or faith, either one. Oh, goodness. <clears throat> it's like every week. So what new word is going to come out of my mouth? I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> God, would you help me to increase my trust in you through these circumstances? When I look back at the suffering that I've gone through, I, I rarely, I don't, well, after the fact, right? When you look back, you see how God was at work. The pain that he used to teach you, Right? So instead of praying, God, if I could just have the job that pays more money than I'd be, if I could just have a little bit more money, if I, if I could just get a girlfriend, if I could just get a, a happier wife, if I could, I could just have more obedient kids, if, if I could just have a more present and dependable husband, then I'd be happy. God, would you help me to see how you're using my circumstances to increase my trust in you? Help me to be reminded by my suffering that you are in control. Help me to walk by faith and not by sight. This is one of the ways I think we can consider. One of the, to me, the harder commands in the New Testament. Consider it joy when you experience hardship. But if we have the kind of faith that says, okay, God is purely good and righteous and just. And he loves me. And he is working out all things for my good and his glory. Then, then I think instead of viewing this pain as punitive, I can view this as like a, he loves me. He's, there's something in me that needs to be refined that he wants to draw out. Like, God, wow, thank you that I have back pain. That is cultivating a dependence upon you and a realization of, of empathy and compassion for others who are experiencing pain. That's one of the ways, I, of course, that was not the first thought I had the first two weeks. <laughs> I'm kind of just processing that with you guys right in this moment. <laughs> May we be reminded by the story that like the beggar, ultimately our greatest need, if you are a Christian in here this morning, your greatest need has been fulfilled and met in Jesus, the forgiveness of your sins and right relationship with him. And you were like the beggar. You had nothing to offer. And you might have even asked of Jesus the wrong things, right? Can you give me money or silver? Peter's like, no, 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 that's not what you need. You need to meet Jesus. By his grace and mercy, he has brought the healing of relationship with him, the forgiveness of sins. We had no right, we had no ability, we had no er, like works to earn this kind of salvation. We were like the beggar, nothing to offer in return. May we praise God that Jesus has come to us and he has looked upon us and he has taken us by the right hand and he has raised us up with him. Amen. And as we think about the beauty of that, the grace of that, it would cultivate in us this leaping of the soul, if you will. Maybe even physical leaping, some of us. Joyful dancing and praise. Like, I would just lay in there. I, I was asking Jesus the wrong things. And he, he did something to me that I wasn't even aware that I needed. I was dead in my sin, and he saved me by his grace. And now all of my life is for you, Jesus. 
I want to continue to live by your grace. I know that this little life that you give me now, if, if I'm going to spend eternity with you forever in the new heavens and the new earth, help me to live this present life that I live now by faith and trust in you. It's by your glory alone. Help me to live that kind of life. We pray this. We, uh, we pray this over each other that God would do this and cultivate this and encourage this in our church as we sing to him, as we pray to him, as we study the scriptures together. We praise this Jesus. We were empty-handed. We've received all that we need in Jesus. Amen? And in response to that kind of praise, right? Like, like the Jews, we were guilty. We were worthy of punishment. And God in his kindness, so you guys were ignorant. He gave us something that we, we didn't earn. Peter doesn't say, you Jews, you guys had, to, you had your one chance and you missed it. Forget you. I'm, I'm moving on to the Gentiles. Consider, turn, trust. He wants to bless and restore rebellious people. That's the gospel, isn't it? This is amazing grace. Church, he deserves all the glory and the honor. Healing found in his name, through faith alone in his name. May God give us the strength to have this kind of peace and joy and gratitude and love as we grow in trust (laughs) and dependence and faith upon him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, not many of us were wise and wealthy and famous by worldly standards. You use the weak to demonstrate your power and your strength. Lord, help us to trust and believe that weakness, dependency, acknowledging our need is the way of Jesus. It's maturity. Independence, self-sufficiency, isolation is the way of suffering and foolishness. Lord, help us to see ourselves in the story that, like this beggar, in your grace, you came to us, you looked upon us, you had mercy and compassion, and you raised us up to walk with you. And by your grace, would you help us to grow in trust and faith in you, that it would lead to increase gratitude and thanksgiving and praise and prayer and leaping. Lord, thank you that we are in this season of refreshing, that you seek to refresh us with your word, with your spirit. Lord, help us to be a people that that helps each other in this faith, this journey of faith and following Jesus in the way that we encourage one another, in the way that we bear with one another. Thank you that you you come to us continually, even as we rebel, even as we walk in ignorance at times, and you gently correct and restore us. And Father, I pray that you would would use us. As as it's been coined, we are just beggars telling other beggars where to find food. that we would not have a kind of superiority to look down upon those that are hurting and suffering. That we would not have a kind of faith that views you as this distant, doormat, deadbeat father of a God. That you do work and you do heal. And, but at times you heal in ways that we don't expect. Or you don't heal in ways that is actually going to lead to further good and, and you being glorified in the situation. 
Lord, I thank you for the ways in which you use suffering in my life to humble me. You use suffering as a way to, sh- to strip away what I thought was important. You use suffering to remove the impurities and the self-centeredness and the self-righteousness in my soul. Help me to, by faith, count it joy. Help us to have faith, to count it joy when we suffer. But to help those ultimately in our life, Father, to know that, that our greatest need is, is not material alleviation. It's not necessarily just our felt need, but our, our deep need of knowing God, of being forgiven by him, and having faith in Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the work that you're doing in our church, for the, the refreshing that I see you've done in our church this past year. And Father, please continue to be gracious to us. Please bless us that we would be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.